Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. In the beginning of Romans, we get that the argument from Paul is that all of us are affected by sin. And not just affected, but every one of us, before God, the righteous judge, were guilty in front of Him and deserving punishment. But it's not just a legal matter. We're not just under the guilt of sin, but we're also under the power of sin. And Paul's solution is that Christ is Savior, that there's a righteousness that comes from God apart from law, apart from our performance, that it's given through faith. And so faith in Christ Jesus is the answer to the guilt and the power of sin. And uh, we've been studying for several weeks in chapter, end of chapter 3, all of 4, so far in 5, we've been looking at how faith in Christ answers the guilt of our sin. In chapter 6, we begin to look at the power of sin and how Christ answers that. And this passage, 5.12 through the end of the chapter, helps us begin that transition to, to look at not just the guilt of sin and how Christ deals with that completely through justification, but how the grace of God through Christ Jesus comes in and gives us power to break the, the slavery to sin, to overcome the corruption of sin, and to begin to live righteously as well. That's what I, I want you to see today, that, that there is a grace from God that is bigger than every aspect of sin in our lives. Before we read God's Word, let's pray together that God would bless our time here. Father in heaven, we pray that you would uh, bless your church, that you would make the reading of your Word and, and the study of it uh, powerful and effective. We pray for your Spirit to accomplish His will and His purposes in our lives, that He would point us to Christ and show us our need of Him, and that we might look upon Him and believe. Believe with our whole hearts. We pray that you would cause us to lead today more confident in our salvation, more enamored with our Savior than we were when we came in. We pray that you would help us see how Christ is at work in us and how you are saving us to the uttermost and how your grace is worthy, worthy of praise and powerful and effective. That you would gain the glory. We pray for all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. This is God's Word. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin was not counted where there is no law, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through the one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift of, by the, the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. If, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. 
Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It says God's Word is completely true, and it is utterly trustworthy. Most of you have been to a church that had a cemetery on the grounds. That used to be uh, really quite popular. A lot of churches had the cemeteries. And I imagined, I'm no church historian really, that part of the reason was that the church was the one who would preside over both the funeral and the burial. And now we have professionals and funeral directors and embalmers and all the work that happens uh, apart from uh, what the church does in the funeral. And I suspect there's more to it, maybe wanting to have larger places that are centralized cemeteries for a community, perhaps regulations. Who knows what will happen, but it's become... Uh, well, I, I doubt there are any new churches that are also setting aside part of their grounds for cemeteries. That may be fine. There's nothing, I, I think, a special a difficulty about that, but we did lose one thing. Uh, we lost a, a, a pretty powerful testimony. The church's best thing, what it can do, is it can prepare people to meet their maker. Uh, it's the only organization God has equipped to do that. And it helps sometimes to, as you're approaching the church, to remember, why do I need to hear what is being said there? To have uh, a carved granite or carved limestone object lesson as you come in. To remember, we're all dying. We're all dying. We're all going to meet our Maker. I had a, a pastor growing up, Country Baptist Church, who would remind us every week, you don't know what will happen on the way home. Now is the time to trust in Christ. And I, I don't know how effective that is in encouraging people to, to uh, believe in Jesus, but it's true. It's true. We want to be ready because the Scriptures tell us death reigns. Death reigns. When um, we talk about something so somber as this, you might want to say, why do we need to talk about this all the time? I was at a RYM conference in one of the chaperones meetings, and the chaperone said, why so much talk about sin? Now, it's, it's not a bad question. Maybe some of you are asking that question. Why do you talk about sin so much? Uh, you know, the, the Bible has stuff to say about, uh, you know, parenting. Can't we talk about that? Or marriages. We need help with our marriages. Can you give me some good advice? The Bible has stuff to say about all kinds of ethical situations. But last week, we spent the same time on this passage saying we're connected to Adam and that has some serious results in our lives. It has an effect on us. And while I won't belabor the point we did it last week, I do hope that if you weren't here you would uh, maybe get the sermon from our website and listen to it. Or, uh, better yet, call me this week and say, I want to know what you were talking about. But I want you to see that this relationship to Adam that you and I have, it matters a lot and it has consequences in our lives that are significant. Uh, for instance, 
When you read in verse 18, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men. Adam's one sin led to condemnation for all men. Now let me show it to you in a, what I think is even more interesting. Look at verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man. Now I want you to go back and, and remember the Garden of Eden when that first sin happens in chapter 3 of Genesis. There was sin technically in the world before Adam's sin. The serpent was there and he was lying. Sin was already there. And if you remember real carefully, it wasn't Adam that took the fruit first, but his wife Eve. And yet somehow Paul says sin didn't come into the world except through Adam. Adam took the fruit, and if you remember real carefully, go, go back and remember Genesis 3, it says he took the fruit after his wife and he ate it, and then their eyes were opened. Not until Adam sinned against God were their eyes opened. Not until Adam sinned against God was whatever Paul meant by sin coming into the world did it come. And here's the reason. Adam had a, a relationship not just for himself with God, but Adam represented all of humanity. Everyone who would descend from Adam was represented when he rebelled against God. That is, he represented you. We might use the word, we have a solidarity with Adam. Or, use biblical language, you and I, by nature, we are in Adam. We were in him when he took the fruit, and so he represented us. Now, you're okay, you don't like this particular representation, but you live with representation all the time. When an ambassador speaks on behalf of the United States, he speaks for you. When your elected representatives vote for things, they vote in your behalf, whether you like the, what they do or not. This is the way the world works. It is the way God works. It is His justice. Adam represented you, and you are in Adam. And so when he rebelled against God, you and I rebelled against him too. And we were all under condemnation because he rebelled against us. Now there's good news. Adam was a type of one to come. Think of it like a prototype. You build the first model and say, this is what they're going to look like. He was a prototype of one who would come. Now, before we get there, I want you to see the consequences of you being an Adam. Because Adam sinned against God. He brought condemnation on all of humanity. And because we are condemned, death reigns. You can see that on a couple of passages. For instance, uh, you can see it in verse 14. Death reigned from Adam to Moses. You can see it again in verse 21. So that as sin reigned in death, death is this king over the human experience. I, I hope one day that we will find... a. a a vaccine for cancer, and, and, and we'll find a cure for Alzheimer's, the way we've done for smallpox and polio. Polio is almost eradicated from the planet. I hope that one day we find that, but we will never find a cure for death. It's the king. It can't be overthrown by the things that we can do. And, and death really has three forms in your life. 
And, and sometimes you'll feel one or, and not the other. We're, we're very good at trying to distance ourselves from these things. You know, when you're young, you feel like you're never going to die, or at least it's really so long off I don't have to worry about it. And so we can keep death at a distance. Or what we do in America is because we're, we're pretty wealthy and we have a lot of technology, we can use our technology and our wealth to keep some of the painful things about the world at a distance, at least for a while. We can use these things so that we don't feel the death that's king. We can ignore it. And even when it takes shape in our lives, uh, we can feel, because we compare ourselves to people we think are morally inferior to us, we can feel like we're okay. And so I can ignore death for a while, but we can't ignore it always. There's three ways that death shows up. One is the obvious in physical death. You've all been to funerals. You've all shed the tears of losing someone. As you get older, as you get diseases, you begin to think about it for yourself. Some of you feel that aspect of death as acutely as anything else. It's not far away, you may think. It's constantly in your head. It's an enemy in the Scriptures. It's, it's king, and we can't beat it. The second form of death, and this is one we may feel less, but it's just as real. In fact, it's more significant. Death is separation from God. If you remember again, back in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve took the fruit, says their eyes were open, they covered themselves up, more on that in a minute, and then God comes to walk with them and to speak with them, and what do they do? They run. They hide. There's a distance that's created between us and God, and the Bible describes that as death. In the Bible it said that when they ate of the fruit, they would surely die, and yet they didn't keel over, but they spiritually died the moment they ate the fruit. They rebelled against God, and because of that, they were spiritually dead, spiritually separated from God. So much so that that's what the Bible calls the last judgment on sinners. Those who remain in their rebellion and refuse to repent and refuse to acknowledge Christ, it says, they will be told by the Lord, depart from me, I never knew you. And the Bible calls it the second death. Second, The first death, physical death, actually for Christians is no longer the judgment it used to be. It's not that we all hope to die, or we're looking forward to it, but the Bible really changes it. The psalmist says, precious in the eyes of the Lord is the death of one of his saints. Paul said, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. What has happened is that God has interrupted the way death works in our lives so that physical death has lost its sting if you're in Christ. Spiritual death is the powerful one. It's the final, eternal judgment of God. It's the one we don't feel, but is most significant. But there's a third kind of death, and this is the one we do feel, feel the most, I think. When Adam and Eve took that fruit and their eyes were open, the first thing they did was they tried to cover up with leaves. They'd never been caring. They'd never care what they looked like. They'd never tried to cover up or hide anything. They were, it says, naked without shame. But now they had shame. And shame 
is the first sense that death is close. Then there's not just shame, there's feeling guilty. You know, before Adam and Eve ate, they never felt any kind of guilty. They never felt anything bad about themselves. But you and I, we feel the accusation of an enemy. We often look at ourselves, at least some of you do, look at yourself and you say, I'm not even sure if I'm a Christian. How could a Christian do these things? And it's the evil one accusing you. And so we feel guilty. And, and, and there's this inner turmoil of shame and guilt that's constantly boiling up. It's the sign that death is close. But it's not just death in the physical sense when the body quits. It's not just death, separation from God. It's not just inner turmoil, but it's among us. You ever had this experience? You've, you've heard a criticism from a friend or from a spouse, someone that you knew loved you, and you get defensive because you feel threatened and insecure. And you see that these relationships that were meant to help, they're marked by problems too. And so death inserts itself and you feel it close by in your relationships. You know, death has created separation from us and God. Death has created separation in our own souls. It's this warring turmoil in us. And death creates separation between each other. And in fact, now we tend to use each other for our own benefits rather than to love one another and experience love. There's insecurity, there's anxiety and worry, brokenness in our relationships. You know what I'm talking about. These are the three aspects of death. The physical death, spiritual death, and then the death and its consequences in our lives, in us and in others. And we feel it, and it reigns as king, and we can't beat it. So what Paul says is, you are a subject to death if you're in Adam. If you're in Adam, you've got his sin, his condemnation, and his death. But the free gift, it's not like that trespass. The free gift that comes in Christ Jesus isn't like what Adam did. The, the fulfillment of the type. We built the prototype in Adam but the one who was to come was the real thing. When he comes, it's not going to be like Adam. Listen, listen, verse 16. The free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass, Adam's sin, brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses, Adam's and ours, brought justification. Justification is the opposite of condemnation. Condemnation is the convicted criminal standing before the judge who pronounces the sentence, you're a murderer, you're guilty, and you deserve to be executed. That's the sentence. Under Adam, we were condemned. And if you're in Adam, that's yours. But for those who are in Christ, the grace of God has interrupted your connection to Adam and has taken you from in Adam to in Christ. And instead of condemnation, you get its opposite. You get justification. So you stand at the same courtroom in front of the same judge, but you're in Christ. And instead of you're condemned, you hear you're acquitted. You're not guilty. You are righteous and okay with the law. You have my favor. The opposite of condemnation. 
And so this free gift, it's given freely by Christ, interrupts by grace your connection to Adam and puts you in connection to Christ. And He is your representative now. Adam represented you before and he failed. Christ represents you now and you are justified. Let's see some more. Look at verse 17. If because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, death became king, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Now, here's what I expected when I read that. When Adam sinned, death reigned in you. Now that Christ has come, life reigns in you. But that's not what it says. I want you to pay real close attention. Death reigns through that one man. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign. Who reigns? Those who receive grace. You who have been given grace through the one man, you reign. Death reigned over you, and so physical death was a judgment. Now, you are king because of grace. And you look at death and say, you can't hurt me. All you can do is take me to my rest. Death reigned, and it separated you from God, but now you're a king. You belong to the royal king. Grace has has set you over these things and you're no longer separated from God. Death reigned and so it brought all kinds of destructive power in your soul and in your relationships. But now you're a king. You aren't subject to those things anymore. Death has lost its power over you because grace has broken its power. Those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. God has made you a king. You're not subject to all the the power of that sin anymore. He's broken its power on you. You see, when you were in Adam, all you could do was sin. It says this in verse uh, 19, For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners. And here's what that means. It means that you and I were born in Adam, united to him, in solidarity with him. He was our representative before God. And because of that, we were born sinners from the very beginning. And the reason why we sin is because we are sinners. In the same way that the reason why you breathe is because you're breathers. It's not that you become a breather by breathing. God made you to breathe. It's not because you, be, you don't become a sinner because you sin. Because you are connected to Adam, you sin because you're a sinner. It's who you are. And this is why we don't talk about, you know, here, let me give you five steps toward a healthier way to live. Here's ten things you can do to become a better person. Here's how you can fix your marriage. Here's how you can fix your parenting. That's why we're not talking about that stuff because if I gave you ethical advice, it wouldn't solve your problem. Because your problem is not, I have a few things on the, on the top that are, that are a little wrong with me, a few behaviors that I need to modify and I'll be okay. You don't become a sinner because you sin. If you did, ethical advice would save you. 
Because you could stop sinning and stop being a sinner. You're connected to Adam, and so you're a sinner, and that's why you sin. But now that you've been moved into Christ, the obedience makes many righteous. The obedience of one man made many righteous. It's changed everything. It's actually made you a king over those things, and you no longer have to give in to that sin. In Adam, all you can do is sin. You say, wait a minute. I know that people who are immoral and, and do all kinds of evil, those are real sinners. But what about people who are good neighbors and decent people but don't believe in Jesus? Are you saying everything they do is sin? Yes. Because even the good things they do are done to make themselves feel good about themselves, to earn some kind of credit with God because they think this is something that give them some kind of merit. The Bible says anything that's not done in faith is sin. That's it. And so everything that this person does is done for selfish reasons and thus it's sinful. Now, you're righteous. You have been given everything in Christ Jesus. You're a king. You reign through grace. You've been given God's favor, and so you can't earn it. There's nothing left to earn. It's already yours. And so now it is possible. It is possible for you, knowing that you're righteous before God, knowing that you already have His favor, to be able to do something out of love for God. It is possible to do a good work in God's sight because you're saying, I don't have to earn anything. I've already been given it. I just do this because you're worthy of it. I just do this because... I love you. I have no other reason to. I can't earn anything. I've been given everything. You're already righteous. You're already represented before God by Jesus. You have everything. And so now you can actually rule because you have grace and it's broken the power of sin and it's broken your connection to Adam and you're connected to, the, to Jesus who gives you life. Verse 21, so that as sin reigned in death, Grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life. Grace is the new king. Grace took death and set it apart. And grace says, come reign with me. Death says, I'll rule over you and destroy you. Grace says, come reign with me. Come put your sins to death. Come live this life. Life with God. Life with others. Life inside. Set aside your turmoil. Grace is here. And you can be a king with me. That's the beauty of this. How far does this go? Well, look at verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, everyone who is in Adam is condemned. So one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. Everyone who is in Christ is justified. There are no exceptions. Yeah, but you don't know how bad my life has been. You don't know how much I've seen the destruction of sin in my life. You don't know how much bad I have done. Verse 20, Now the law came to increase the trespass. What's that mean? That as we knew it was sin, it became worse. Because we saw it explicitly in front of us, what God commands us not to do and the things He commands us to do. And we said no to both things. As we crossed those lines, knowing they were sin, they were worse. It increased the trespass. But where sin increased, 
as bad as you have been, grace abounded all the more. You will never exhaust grace. You will never overwhelm grace. Grace will always overwhelm sin. Grace will always overwhelm condemnation. Grace will always overwhelm death. You're a king. You reign with grace and it's the new king. And so you can stop bowing your knee to the old one. Come to the new, the stronger, better king in your life. And believe in grace. I have a a colleague and an acquaintance, uh, Marvin Padgett. Maybe some of you know him. Uh, Marvin lived in Nashville, Tennessee, and he had uh, a dog that was one of those, you know, 30-pound type dogs, a small, good house dog. You know what I'm talking I don't remember what kind it was. Probably a mutt. And he uh, bought a black lab puppy. Now, if you know black labs, they're not going to stay small long. But he had a little puppy, and it was just a few pounds there, and, and he would pour the food out into a big bowl for both the dogs to eat. When they, when they would come, the puppy might get there first, but when this 30-pound dog, the mutt, would get there, it would just shove the puppy out of the way and then eat till it was done, and then it would move, and then the puppy would finally get to come eat. And they did that for a long time. But you know, that black lab got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Pretty soon, you have a 80 or 90 pound dog, I guess. Two and a half times the size of the, of the little dog. And you know what happened now, right? Pour the food out. The big dog gets there. And this is my food, right? And the little dog comes up. You guys know what happened. The big dog got out of the way. He'd forgotten he was the bigger dog. He'd forgotten where the power was. He had forgotten that he was the new king. And what, what I'm telling you is that grace has come and it's the new king. And it's much stronger than the sin that you've been living with and the death you've been feeling. Reign with grace. Let's pray. Father in heaven, We pray that you would help us first believe this and then feel it and then live by it. We pray that Christ's life and Christ's victory and Christ's grace would be our new King and that at your invitation we would reign with Him, with with grace and with you over our sin, over the condemnation, over death. It's our birthright. It is ours because we are in Christ through faith. We pray that you would cause your life to bear fruit in us. We pray for it in Jesus' name. Amen.